You are listening to Primary Care Perspectives, a podcast where pediatric experts from the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia discuss the primary care issues that are on their mind and the hot topics that all pediatricians see affecting their daily practice. This podcast is for general informational and educational purposes only and is not to be considered as medical advice for any particular patient. Clinicians must rely on their own informed clinical judgment in making recommendations to their patients. Hi, I'm Dr. Katie Lockwood, a primary care pediatrician at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, and today I'm talking about e-cigarettes. Joining me is Dr. Brian Jensen, who's an attending physician also at CHOP, faculty at Policy Lab, and researcher at Penn. So thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. So let's start off with just the trends in adolescent cigarette use versus e-cigarette use, because I would imagine that we were declining over time, but mm-hmm. you can tell me if I'm wrong. No, it's a great topic to start with because it helps us give us kind of a scope of the issue right now. So well, I usually start this, if I could take it one step back and just talk about kind of the big picture for a second, mm-hmm. well, we always start kind of reminding people, we talk about tobacco and e-cigarettes, just the overall toll of combustible tobacco and how cigarette smoking still is the leading preventable cause of disease and death in the United States. Mm-hmm. So some scope of that, 480,000 deaths every year from tobacco, mm-hmm. especially smoking tobacco, one of every five deaths, one of every three cancer deaths in the United States. So the average kind of adult smoker dies 10 years earlier than their non-smoking peer. Okay, okay. big picture stuff. Right. Adult smokers were down to about 14% to 14 to 15% of the adult population smokes, one of the seven. Okay. In the 1950s, it peaked in 55% of the male population. Mm-hmm. So huge positive strides. Right. Now let's talk a little bit about teenage smoking. So cigarette smoking among teenagers peaked around from the time we were recording in the early 1970s to about 40% of teens were regularly smoking cigarettes. Now, because of a whole bunch of great efforts, education campaigns, policy regulations, changing the culture around mm-hmm. smoking, we're down to 5 to 7% of high school students who regularly smoke cigarettes. Okay. Also decreasing uh, ever kind of smoking cigarettes. And over the last 10 years, we've seen a dramatic shift in terms of e-cigarettes kind of rising onto the marketplace. From the most recent data, we're now up to 20% of high school students who regularly use e-cigarettes. We're not talking about just trying, we're talking about kind of regularly using more frequently than monthly. One in five high school students, and it's not just an issue for high school students, middle school students, up to 5%, so one in 20 middle school students are regularly using these products. Hmm, That's unbelievable. Um, So that's why we have a podcast on this. Yes, yeah, an important (laughs) topic, yeah. So for those of us who don't know, what exactly is an e-cigarette and what are the other things out there that might not be called an e-cigarette but are similar? Yeah, so a whole bunch of shifting terminology, which, which is hard for us in the space of trying to kind of push back about, against these things. So what they generally are is some sort of device that has some sort of solution in them, um, some sort of battery to them, some sort of component where a user inhales um, an aerosol that's emitted from the solution and jet kind of takes it into their lungs and then emits it out. They started first looking like cigarettes. That was the first generation. I I discourage people to even use generation terminology for it. Mm -hmm. We're now up to kind of new devices that look like if you're walking around the streets of any big urban area, either Philadelphia or elsewhere, you see, you might see two styles of them. The tank devices Mm -hmm. look like kind of imagine, and people can Google this to learn more about the images, but imagine something that you can hold in the palm of your hand and it has another kind of component to it that comes out that people can put in their mouth and use. And then the other big product is Juul. Mm-hmm. That kind of looks like a sleek, sort of sexy device, fits into the palm of your hand, looks very much like a USB device. Right. Um, and there's been a big shift over this as kind of manufacturers of the products have continued to kind of 
what they say respond to kind of user's demands, what other people point out, kind of making it sleeker and sexier mm-hmm. and more discreet for people to use. Mm-hmm. Right. I was going to say the discreet part, because you mentioned it looks like a flash drive. So these are things that you potentially could bring to school and might not look like you're bringing an e-cigarette to school. You know, one of the things that and um, that we run into all the time is we have I regularly, so I'm a researcher in the space and the pediatrician, I have school educators who reach out. And you've obviously seen a lot of popular press pointing out that any teacher feels like kids are using it discreetly in the back of the classroom and then hiding it. Mm-hmm. Huge issue around this. Right. So advertising for e-cigs and vape shops seem to be everywhere. As you mentioned, on the streets of Philadelphia, we see this. So can you speak a little bit about the marketing of these products and the accessibility to teens? Mm-hmm. The short answer is first that remind everyone here, if they haven't seen this already, that E-cigarette companies target children, adolescents, and young adults with their advertising and their enticing flavors. Mm -hmm. So we know that clearly based on what has been available analyzing the advertising. And now also pretty much every single e-cigarette company is owned by a tobacco company. Mm -hmm. So for example, Juul, which dominates the marketplace, is owned by Philip Morris. So tobacco companies can't advertise to children though, but you're saying that e-cigarettes can. Excellent. That was where I was about to go. So now because from the variety of laws leading up to the FDA now having the authority over all tobacco products, you cannot do the advertising that we're seeing with e-cigarettes with cigarettes. So for example, what I mean by that, no more commercials. Mm-hmm. No, They're not supposed to have any sort of advertising in magazines that has a predominance of children or uh, adolescents as part of it. Okay. Regulations, both local, state, and federal about how you could be advertising uh, proximity to a school and in a variety of shops in which you can purchase these products. The problem is the FDA was supposed to regulate these as cigarettes. That was all set to do that. And then when the new administration came in at the the FDA level, they decided to push that back. So right now, e-cigarettes are not regulated in any meaningful way like Mm. they should be. And when I say should be, it's not not an opinion point I'm bringing up. We know that their tobacco companies for 50 years have targeted children and and adolescents. And so we now have strong evidence to show how we can push back against that. Adults want to make decisions about use. That's a different topic we, we, we can dive into. But individuals under the age of 18, 21, we really want to make sure that we're protecting these these individuals who are not informed decision makers yet. And so we have great evidence about how we can restrict and protect children. We should be doing the same thing with e-cigarettes, and we're not. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. So the thing that I hear the most from teens when I'm talking about e-cigs is that there's not nicotine in them. At least that's what they're telling me. So is there or is there not? And what else are we inhaling when we're inhaling e-cig Vapors. Yeah. Two, uh, yeah, the emissions or whatever. So there's right. two questions there. Let's let's focus on the nicotine yeah. aspect first. So one of the issues is there's a lot of um, information and misinformation. Partly that's been pushed, promulgated by tobacco companies and mm-hmm. e-cigarette companies because they have a product to sell. So there are times where nicotine is not in the product, but the vast majority of the time they are. And so, for example, Juul, which is the number one product used among teenagers and young adults, mm-hmm. always has nicotine. Okay. Despite the fact that teenagers think it doesn't. Right. Now, unless they're buying stuff, and there's no real quality control, unless they're testing it themselves to prove there's not nicotine in the system, mm-hmm. uh, there, it's there. And so what we're finding in studies, it takes time to kind of get hold of these products and figure out what's actually going with them. You had a second question about kind of what's in them. Mm-hmm. So when they first came on the marketplace, researchers grabbed them and said, okay, in the solutions, there's a whole bunch of products, there's a whole bunch of chemicals that are both advertised and unadvertised in them. Mm-hmm. Typically, they have something like nicotine. The, the solution has propylene glycol, which helps it kind of be 
created into a uh, into a, an aerosol into a vapor, and then all these other chemicals that are often there. Sometimes same harmful chemicals that are in cigarettes that can cause cancer, like volatile organic compounds (VOCs), mm -hmm. at levels that are lower or higher or the same. Now, the other kind of dynamic to this, as we've had more time to analyze this, we're starting to see that in the aerosol emitted from them, when you kind of inhale them in, the same chemicals are there and then emitted out mm -hmm. at levels that are similar, sometimes not similar, to what's in cigarettes. And now we have uh, more recent data, for example, published in pediatrics this past year that found out the same chemicals that are in the solution in the aerosol are also in the bodies of teen users. Mm -hmm. So that we, for example, this particular study tested the saliva and nicotine. So the things that we're concerned about, the same harmful chemicals that we know are strongly associated with health harms in cigarettes, we're finding in e-cigarettes as well and the bodies of users. So even if a teen is savvy enough to maybe find a nicotine-free e-cig, they're still inhaling other chemicals that could be harmful to their health. Correct. And maybe other people's health through secondhand smoke. Yes, and I think a message, if I can play off that for a second, there's you know there's a lot of nuance in this product. So what I mean by that is there there these companies when they came to the marketplace, they talked about they're there for adult established smokers to help them quit. That's a topic that we can talk more about. But for the person who is cigarette naive, meaning that they should never be going down cigarettes, a lot of teenagers will say, well these products are safe. Mm -hmm. And what kind of we and the research community and public health space point out, well Cigarettes are the only legal product on the market when you use as intended will kill you. Right. It's hard to, it's, it's pretty easy to prove something safer than that. So what we remind teenagers in the messaging is safer doesn't mean safe, right? right? If you haven't been using these products, why, why use them? Because even if these products didn't have all these harmful chemicals that lead to cancer, nicotine itself is harmful for a developing brain. Right. There's strong data that suggests that it, it likely alters the developmental process and can lead to mood and attention issues. And the third thing is nicotine as a chemical itself can prime you for other addictive behaviors. Mm -hmm. I want to kind of focus on that point for a second. I think, Katie, when you and I were younger, we used to hear about kind of the gateway drug concepts right. of like pot, marijuana was a gateway drug. I noticed that when I was younger. And then as a researcher diving into that data, I was actually didn't see that to be that compelling. What more people raise an awareness of is one, there's a lot of association with drug use, whether it be kind of tobacco, nicotine, alcohol and other drugs, but it seems there's new data that suggests that nicotine actually might be the gateway drug. Hmm. It primes you, for example, for your brain to be receptive to the uh, addictive effects of alcohol and cocaine, for example. Hmm. So it might be nicotine as the gateway drug, not really THC marijuana. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned that e-cigs can be marketed as a way to quit smoking uh, cigarettes. So if we did have a teenager who was a heavy cigarette smoker, say, would e-cigs be an effective way to help kind of get them off of that habit? Great question. And I'm just going to clarify my point there. They can't legally be allowed to market as helping people quit smoking because mm -hmm. that means that they're, while they're on the marketplace, they're not FDA approved for smoking cessation. Okay. So you might Good notice, point. I encourage people to read the labels. They're very um, uh, persuasive in what they're saying and careful in their terminology. Jewel, for example, says make the switch. Mm -hmm. They don't say, but it actually can help prove, help you quit smoking. So they have right. to be careful about that terminology because that gets to a health level. They're not FDA approved to do that. Mm -hmm. So that's one, their terminology. And remember, tobacco companies, Jewel is a tobacco company, have their long history of claiming that there's a health benefit to this. If you look at early advertisements from the 60s, 70s, and 80s around cigarettes, they would talk about the healthier option, 
when filters came on the marketplace, right. healthier option. There's right. no evidence that filters decrease any risk associated with them. So the larger topic I think what we're getting at is, is there a role for established adult smokers? Could e-cigarettes help people quit? Mm -hmm. Now, right now, there's not evidence that supports that assertion. So for example, a recent National Academy of Science report that was published back in 2018 said there's some data that suggests that if people completely switch over from people who are smoking cigarettes, switch from cigarettes to e-cigarettes, mm -hmm. they are probably less harmful. Okay. So that's one, if you completely make the switch. There's not enough data to make the recommendation that they actually help people quit smoking and get off cigarettes. There are a few randomized control trials. The most recent one was an interesting study published in New England Journal of Medicine this past year in 2019. And I won't go into all the details about it, but the idea was it suggests that e-cigarettes, this was a UK-based study, might help people actually get off cigarettes. They, they did a randomized control trial, e-cigarettes, versus the typical thing that we might prescribe for our parents or for adult smokers, nicotine replacement therapy. Mm -hmm. And they found a statistically significant difference, I think it was about an eight percentage point difference in the likelihood of getting off cigarettes. Now I'm using that terminology carefully because at one year follow-up, that's what they were kind of looking at, 80% of people in the e-cigarette group were still using e-cigarettes mm -hmm. compared to 8% of people around that in the nicotine replacement therapy who were off any nicotine-containing product. Okay. So it's unclear yet, did it actually help people quit? Right. That's important nuance. So again, I'm a researcher. I'm, I try to not speak beyond the evidence. Right. There are a lot of false claims out there that people said, oh, this could be this huge thing that can help people quit smoking. We don't have that yet. And I'm a, I'm a researcher who helps people quit smoking. Uh -huh. But I told, when people kind of bring it up to me, you know, Dr. Jensen, should we use this product? I say, well, we have all these other things that are evidence-based that we know work. Why don't I connect you with that? Uh -huh. And then we can talk through this dynamic of this other things that may or may not be helpful for you. Uh, going in the opposite direction. Mm -hmm. So how likely are teens who are using these e-cigs to progress to smoking cigarettes? Great question. One of the one of the biggest health concerns around this, it's gonna take us some time to figure out the dynamics of these chemicals in the product and, and their kind of risk for long-term health issues. There is strong data, multiple well-designed long-term studies that identify the following, that teenage e-cigarette users have a fourfold increased risk of becoming smokers themselves. Mm. And so that's not teens who are using cigarettes and going back and forth. These are teens who seem to be low risk for ever starting cigarettes start using e-cigarettes and then at follow-up they're using cigarettes at kind of much higher rates than they would otherwise be at risk at. So there's a big disconnect and we're actually seeing, it's going to be hard to kind of tease this out in the long-term population health data, but we actually might even be seeing that trend. What I mean by that is the trend of, of cigarette use among adolescents has been going down right. as we start over the last 20, 30, 40 years. It's plateauing now. And we're now seeing actually an increased use of any tobacco use is starting to be to go up and that's being driven by e-cigarette use. Mm -hmm. Sometimes a question that's often asked of me, I don't know if you're is that, so what's driving this behavior? Why are people going from e-cigarettes to cigarettes? Right. Not entirely clear, but I think with um, some, you know, there's there's at least mild moderate evidence suggests the following, that one, nicotine, mm -hmm. pulling people towards cigarettes. So a typical Juul product or other e-cigarette device costs a good chunk of change, 20 to $40. Mm -hmm. So if you now are addicted to nicotine, and Juul is a high nicotine delivery system, teenagers are reporting to us that they're going and buying loose cigarettes and they're going to use cigarettes. Right. There's also the acculturation aspect, you know, bringing stuff to your mouth. There's, there might be something else, that's a psychological dynamic there, but I think the nicotine is the pathway. Mm -hmm. The addiction model that you suggested, right? So. Right. So given how much of an issue this is, when and how should we as primary care 
pediatricians be screening adolescent patients for ESIG use? It's a great, um, great question. We have, I'm going to start by cautioning here. We actually don't have great data to dot to kind of really direct us as to what's the best approach. We're taking data from cigarettes and we're applying it here. Mm-hmm. So we've been, for example, we can talk about what we were doing at kind of the, the primary care network here at CHOP at our sure. institution. What we did is we tried to combine it in with our tobacco screening. And so to make sure that we're using the latest terminology, I think it's important to really ask the question in some format and then open up some sort of dialogue around it and emphasize your concerns. Because what we're finding is teenagers may not disclose this to us because they may not view it as a health issue. Right. If you, they may not view it as a tobacco product. Right. By definition, it's a tobacco product because it has nicotine. Mm-hmm. And, but as we but pointed out, but they don't know it has right. nicotine, right? It's a lot of misinformation. So we, we're screening for it, but I think that the approach, so this is not officially endorsed yet, but I think the better approach might be to start the conversation. 20 to 30% of teens are using these products. Mm-hmm. Why not bring it up and, and kind of offer your concerns? So we've kind of kind of a little bit into the advising where I'm about right. to go. But to say, you know, I have concerns about this. I've heard, you know, safer doesn't mean safe. I'm still concerned about this. I'm concerned that this might pull you towards cigarettes. And using that, hanging on that mm-hmm. to remind them about the cigarette issues, because so many of our teenagers are primed to push back against cigarettes. And then another important point that has worked in the public health space, and so taking it from that and applying it in our clinical context, is to remind teens and say, hey, you know, cigarette companies, e-cigarettes or cigarette companies, they have a long history of lying to us and lying to you. They're targeting you. Right. They're targeting you to get you addicted to a product. I use that in my clinical practice. I think it gets an aha moment. There's a big role that we can play as pediatricians, anyone who takes care of children. We're trusted sources of healthcare advice. Mm-hmm. If we're offering that, we're not the parent. We're not kind of hitting them over the head with things. Right. We're just saying, we're the consultant. Have you thought about this? Here are my concerns. And again, that connection, you get, might get addicted to something. You, you don't want to be addicted to things. Right. I think that the emotional connection and the relationship that we have with our patients, like you said, is very important. Yeah. Because we're not talking about it in terms of you're going to get in trouble mm-hmm. or you're not allowed to do this. It's more of a genuine concern. Correct. And I think that's our biggest angle here to kind of help them educate. It's almost a counterculture angle. Uh, being smoke free is not making, being e-cigarette free is not about making me happy or your parent happy. It's empowering you to kind of live addiction free. Mm-hmm. And so you don't want someone manipulating you, right? So being kind of tobacco free, e-cig free is kind of pushing back against tobacco company manipulation. So if a patient wants to stop using the e-cig, but they are feeling addicted to mm-hmm. it, what are some of the treatment options that we can suggest? Great. So kind of, there are two areas that we're starting to kind of recommend. Um, one is using the quit line. So this is a free resource that's available um, that has about 20 years of data to show, no, more than that, I'm sorry, 30 years of data to show that it, it's effective in helping adults quit smoking. Mm-hmm. It can work for teens at time. That's what we're referring people to do. Counseling that's free, available over the phone. Um, in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and around the country, free and available, and they're working on retraining their counselors to help teenagers around this issue. The problem is teenagers don't want to talk over the phone. Mm-hmm. So there's another resource. This is early, so I do want to emphasize there's not that much data to support it, but there's kind of reasonable data from the cigarette population. There's uh, The Truth Campaign has an e-cigarette treatment service. Uh, if anyone were to Google, you can Google Truth e-cigarette, there's a phone number that you can advise your teenagers to text to. Mm. Um, we might be able to post it along with this. Yeah. And you can text in that number, and they immediately start to engage the teenager in these kind of motivational messages to educate and help them quit e-cigarettes. Great. I want to put one other plug if I can. So for those in the region, we also at CHOP have a treatment study 
that those who are interested can, can reach out to our group. We engage teenagers through a variety of text messaging, counseling over the phone methods, and we use financial incentives to help them engage in treatment. So that's something at the local level that we're doing as well. Great. I love that there's now, you said teenagers don't want to talk on the phone, there's a text option. In my yeah. head, I was thinking like, can we do this via social media? <laughs> can we do a Snapchat right. intervention? <laughs> yeah. So. Something, right. we got to yeah. meet teenagers where they are. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, they we're thinking about lots of options. So I know that when I go certain places, I can expect that there won't be smoke due to smoke-free policies that we have. So, you know, airplanes, restaurants. Mm-hmm. Do these policies apply to e-cigs? Um, some of them do. So I think the important thing is, well, let's take a step back and think around the larger so we deal with this in the healthcare space, but public policy, public health, is a huge role of pushing back against tobacco, starting with Surgeon General reports that educate around this, tax initiatives to help kind of really you know, make it harder to purchase these, right. restrictions on when you can buy this, age restrictions. Uh, for example, a big movement now to increase the purchase age to 21 for mm-hmm. cigarettes and e-cigarettes. The problem is, um, at the federal level, because of this misinformation lack of regulation, there's not federal standards around this, but local and state jurisdictions have kind of picked up the slack, meaning that they're, and that's the recommendation, because there are harmful things in these vapors, right? We want to, if an adult wants to use a product, that's one thing, right? right? We're not commenting on the individual adult use. We're trying to help people get off them, but doesn't mean an individual's right to smoke or use products in some way doesn't mean that impinges our right to have clean air. So local jurisdictions are kind of stepping up. I encourage your kind of listeners to the podcast to kind of look at their local kind of in Philadelphia, we have pushed back and e-cigarette, so secondhand smoke exposure laws apply to e-cigarettes as well. Mm -hmm. But I encourage kind of people in their jurisdictions to look this up and say, hey, how come not? There's no reason why not. We should encourage everyone to pull the same laws to e-cigarettes to, as there are to cigarettes. Mm-hmm. Right. It's just another way to protect our patients because if they, even if they're not using it themselves, mm-hmm. smaller, younger children, babies, we don't want them exposed to these vapors either. Right. And I don't, I don't think we want to wait. You know, it took a while to figure out that secondhand smoke is, there's no safe level of secondhand smoke, right? right? There's no sec, there's no, we can take that information and say there's no safe level of secondhand aerosol. Right. I don't want to take 40 years to kind of find that data. We know mm-hmm. it's there. So why not? The, the precautionary principle applies here. Mm-hmm. Let's protect ourselves and protect our infants or children from all the harms of secondhand aerosol smoke. Right. So this is obviously a, a topic that you're passionate about and mm-hmm. know a lot about. So what research is happening at CHOP in this area? I think the first one to mention is that we're trying to do our best to figure out how do we help teenagers who are addicted. So that's what we're doing. That's what we're focused on. I mentioned that kind of trial. If anyone's mm-hmm. interested, refer to us. We're also doing a lot of work. We might be five steps ahead of this to show how this is such an emerging public health issue. You asked an earlier question, how do we even screen for it? We don't know the best ways to ask about this. Mm-hmm. We don't know the best preventive messages to use back. And so that's in this, that's happening. And we're doing that work at CHOP and a lot of great colleagues across the country are focusing on that as well. I think we have to be careful too, is um, the FDA recently had a call for kind of individuals who could focus on treatment for teenagers. That's part of it. We don't want to lose track of the fact that prevention is going to be key. Mm-hmm. Right? We don't want to have people who, if we are treating teenagers who are addicted, we've already kind of lost. Right. right? We need to really focus on the prevention. So what are the best policies there? Uh, we have all the strong data from cigarettes. Let's make sure we implement that as well. Now, another thing we're doing that I don't want to lose track of is, remember that tobacco use, cigarettes, e-cigarettes are, are a generational issue. So here at CHOP, other institutions, we really are, and this is uh, thanks to a lot of our great colleagues as well in clinical practice, 
we're leading the charge to help parents quit smoking and doing a lot of research on that. I know we've had podcasts that talk about that as well. Mm-hmm. So kind of remind kind of listeners that an important thing would be to, if there's a parent that's using, to kind of ask them about that use, advise them to quit, uh, connect them to medications, nicotine replacement therapy, patch your gum, safe, effective treatments, mm-hmm. and connect them to that telephone resource I mentioned, the quit line. We're doing more and more work here at CHOP to do that and expand it across our CHOP care network. Mm-hmm. Great. I love that you're incorporating the intergenerational care yeah. with e-cigs. So we talked about a lot of information, and people might not be able to remember all of the details. They can always go back and listen again. But what are your kind of top three take-home points for people? So I would say the three big take-home take points. First, the health harms. I think we, we don't know a lot. We don't have all the information about it, but what we have so far is concerning. Safer doesn't mean safe. Right. So there's harmful chemicals in the solution themselves. There's harmful chemicals in the aerosol, and now we're finding it in the bodies of individuals. So the health harms. And the biggest one, teenagers who use these products have a fourfold increased risk of becoming cigarette smokers. Right. So I would say that's kind of the, the, the first point there, the health harms. The second one is there's an important role here of the federal, state, local um, uh, health system policy. Right. We know how effective that is in prevention. We need to, as pediatricians, as those who are pediatric healthcare advocates, we really need to advocate on that level. And the third point would just be practical clinical lessons. You asked about screening. Messaging like safer doesn't mean safe. That kind of connection back to cigarettes, the concerns that these are these are topics we can discussions we can have with our patients, reminding them that tobacco companies, all these cigarette companies are owned by tobacco companies. They're trying to manipulate you to use these products. And then we have a unique role to help connect them if they are addicted to those treatment options we discussed, connecting them either to the quit line or that truth e-cigarette text messaging based platform. Mm-hmm. Those are your three points. Thank you so much. So you mentioned a lot of great resources for us. So we will link to those on our website as well as Policy Lab and some of the work that they're doing there. Our website, as always, is www.chop.edu slash podcast. So thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Jensen. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Primary Care Perspectives. You can download and subscribe to future episodes on iTunes or visit chop.edu slash podcasts for a listing of all episodes. I look forward to our next chat. Thank you.